Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. Folks, one of the things that is so fun to do at One Rental at a Time is grow our audience of experts. And of course, we have Lance Lambert, a fortune writer, and somebody I follow on Twitter, News Lambert. How you doing, buddy? Good. Uh, coming to you from one of the most boring backgrounds I can. <laughs> uh, got the corner and the white, so nothing interesting over here. Uh, but maybe I'll share my screen and look at some housing charts as we get yeah. going. Yep, there you go. Let me, uh, there you go. Now you can do that. Uh, yeah, one of the things that I wanted to talk about here is we're kind of at the mid-year, right? It's basically July 1st. Uh, I think it'll actually be July 1st when this video uh, publishes. Uh, so I thought we should look at what's going on with housing. I know there's been a lot of people updating their opinions. I know we're heading into the second half, generally a slower time. I think it's clear rates are going to be higher than some of us thought, myself included. I think rates probably be up today, for example. But yeah, a lot of stuff going on in housing, and you are housing, housing, housing. So what's going on? Yeah, a lot going on. Uh, this was Case Shiller week, although, uh, and I'm never a fan of this when people try to rain on the Case Shiller day, because I always like Case Shiller day that last Tuesday of the month. Uh, we had the little bit of a Airbnb uh, stuff going on on Twitter. Yeah, um, and, I saw you know. Maybe they're the right numbers. Maybe they're not. Maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, but look, let's uh, take a look at some of the latest Case Shiller data. Okay. I'm going to share my screen. Yep. Uh, we'll start with the year-over-year -year data, uh, which usually I don't really focus as much on year-over-year -year because not only is home price data lagged, but uh, resale, you know, these repeat uh, measurements like Case Shiller are lagged even more. And so you're already several months behind when you get that new month. But then if you do year over year, you end up getting to be like 14, 15 months behind. So you're kind of pretty far behind it year over year. Uh, but year over year, we had finally, and this was all expected, um, the first year over year decline um, since, uh, you know, and really the Case Shiller data going back to 1975 has only went year over year negative three times. Uh, the 90s for a bit, most notably the housing crash when it really fell, and then this one, which is one-fifth of 1% right now. Um, and at least these next two months, three months, probably negative year over year. And the only way you could extend negative year over year beyond that, um, and it could be that already the positive year over years are already baked in, like there's enough growth there that it's baked in already. But if you wanted to keep negative year over year going, I think you at least need to have month over month negative by August again. Right. And there's a good chance you would actually need it by July because I'm guessing there's probably one to two points of appreciation that haven't been registered by yeah. Tisha. Maybe a little I more. Year to date, two to three. And I'll share the month over months now. Yeah, I think I think there's one thing that's important here, and I actually called it on January 2nd. I actually said Case Schiller would go negative four months starting in starting with the April data, which this was the April data. This was all predictable because again, um, 
you know, you're looking back year on year, we had a huge bubble uh, with, you know, Seattle market or King County being 112% of list price, which is not normal. That was the average purchase price to list for a month last year was 112%. That That's a sign that there's an unhealthy market going on. So again, I think Case Shiller going negative was predictable. It will be negative next month. It will be negative the month after that. Uh, and then we can start talking. So uh, yeah, that's the year on year data. Yeah, once you get to July, August, we're kind of, uh, well, uh, let's kind of see how it all yes. kind of out. Now, Bank Believe of America it. thought we would not go negative on Tuesday. I, I saw and that. I, I actually, Tuesday night, I got a few emails from some of the bigger real estate companies. Predict, and one of them predicted the year over year was up 0.6%. So oh. I almost panicked Monday night going into yeah. and because if that had been right, that would have meant that month over month had rose 2.5%. Oh, it would have been a monster beat. Yeah. Uh, and so I was kind of like, because some of those places might share data with each other beforehand. And so mm -hmm. they kind of look at it. I get the data about a half hour before the release. Uh, but I was a little panicked on that, but it came in right where everybody had kind of thought, which was we would get that very small year over year uh, down in April. So let me share the case Schiller. I went back um, and got this data from Robert Schiller um, going back to 1975, because uh, online you can only get back to 1989 for case Schiller. But here's the historic. You can see the overheating in the 70s. Um, and most notably, when you're in a period of overheating, the latter half of the year keeps overheating. That's where you really start to get those big. Interesting. Um, and then you go into the early 80s and uh, you have the mortgage rate shock. And in the case, Schiller never went down year over year. I think that's really I think that's really interesting because one of the things I did and I think I've showed you my 50 year yes. spreadsheet 81's an interesting year because that's yeah. where rates went up that's where transactions crashed that's why it was so easy for me to call the 40% transaction crash because the data told me but to see yeah. that case Schiller really never went back to back negative yeah. after that is it just goes to show you that it all all higher rates do is crash transactions yeah, Not necessarily yeah, it, price. It's interesting. Uh, now on that one, if you look at the Fannie Mae index, it mm -hmm. went negative year over year in like 82. Um, mm -hmm. But the case Schiller one didn't. Um, I, I'd like to, I don't quite know why, but it's the same thing now. Fannie Mae is not going to go negative year over year in case Schiller right. did, uh, yep. which is interesting. And also Fannie Mae didn't go negative in the early 90s one while Schiller did. Oh, um, interesting. So slight different methodology, so I'm not exactly sure. Then you kind of come out of that and you're kind of in a lull here. This is very normal, very mm -hmm. normal. This is kind of driven by that savings and loan money out West. And I remember. Texas. You have that boom, you have the bust. Um, and then in the early 90s, and this is how a sideways market looks. And I actually think it's important to look at this right here. Okay. Because what you have is you go into the year, you get your appreciation, and then at the end of the year, it gets knocked off. And that's what kind of was happening in the 90s. You'd have a normal spring market. It kind of was getting knocked off a bit. And you had that for a while. And it's interesting that you had that because in the 90s, you had strong income growth, a good economy, 
Uh, but what you did have is a lot of building too in the nineties. Mm. Uh, so that's an interesting time. And then at the end of the nineties, you get that overheating again. Uh, Look at that. That is wild. Yes. 1.6, 1.5, 1.5 down at the bottom. Yeah. And, and here, if you're going to get a big year, you're working in the second half of the year. If you keep the appreciation going at the end of the year, that's where your year gets to be big. That's interesting. Um, and then you have, uh, and this is not seasonally adjusted. I wanted people to see everything. This is just how it actually works without the adjustments. So this, and uh, you have, you know, you get to 06, you have that spring market, you get a little bit off. And then 07, not a normal year at all. Um, same with 08. And this is to get a real bust year, like a real down year, like eight, 10%. You have to have no appreciation essentially in the spring. And then you just take it off at the end of the year. Uh, that's when you really start to work down. But even if you look at this, the worst crash ever in, in history, uh, it still took five years of this uh, exactly. to kind of play out. Um, I wish I wish more of the doomers and crash bros would understand. I'm not against a housing crash. I mean, it's mathematically possible, but it's never in the time frame that they select. The worst ever, the housing-related 50% adjustable rate mortgages, it took five years to play out. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so here you have uh, the past, well, so 12, 13, you had a very big spring. That's a lot of those institutional people. They're like, yeah, they stepped in. I'm buying. I remember yep. that time frame. Yep. And then you went into what has been our normal seasonal pattern, which mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, around a 1% each month. And some losses maybe at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and then in 2020, we break out. And mm -hmm. as soon as when you do this at the end of the year, that's, yeah, that's a bull market. You're going up real big. Uh, that continued into 2021. And then a lot of economists now believe that somewhere in here, the Fed got behind, right? Mm -hmm. On rate, on the, the actual rate environment. Yep. And so when they played catch up and they allowed the spring market to happen where there was little to no inventory and 3% mortgage rates yeah. and all that overheating, I mean, that's a 2.7 for one month. A I month. Mean, that, annualize that. That's crazy at annualize. You know what? That That's, yeah, that, that was the biggest ever for one month was that March, 2020. Uh, which is kind of in the actually happened probably January, February, but yeah, those uh, are the contracts were right, right, right. Rates spiked. And at this point in June, we were up for the year nine something in case Shiller. And okay. by the time you blew off this four or five without adjustment, we finished up like five, seven, five, two ish for the year. Okay. And then you come into this year. And in my opinion, one of the hardest parts about making this year a down year is this February reading, because what you really needed to do is you needed to take some of that losses from the end of the year and they need, need forward, to be yeah. more declines in December, really, to kind of pull over. And then in January needed to be kind of be down too. But we started off so warm that February was up um, because now, because then what happens if you add a real down year, if let's take 2011 right here. 
you start one down 1.1 down then 0.9 so that keeps you down for the year even with this appreciation up until about may june and yep. then the end of the year you can kind of knock it out when you're only down january but then you go up february you're in a tight spot to get down mathematically for the year um and 1.1 3 and 1.3, those are big readings. I mean, if you look from 2014 um, into 2020 spring, those seven years, we did not have a 1.3 wow. at all. So we've been very warm this spring. And I expect May will probably be a number just like those two, uh, based on what we've already seen from the other ones. And then we're probably really going to decelerate fast around here. And we kind of see what happens at the end of the year. But already, just with the four readings, we're up for the year 2.3%. Um, so we're up 2.3. There's at least two more to go, maybe three. And then the back half of the year, you'd have a real challenge trying to knock that off. You, yeah. you would essentially need a second half of the year that is like 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 2022. Right. Those are the yep. only five years since 1975 that delivered enough of a drop in the second half of the year that would be able to wipe out the first half of 2023's gains. So getting to a down year would be tough just based on the history of the chart. Yeah. And I think the other things that we've seen, and again, with my other experts that come out each week is, is inventory is really a problem, right? Existing home sales. And let's just play a game for a minute. Let's say rates go to 8%. Right today, I think today I think they'll go over seven. Let's say they go to eight. Say they go eight and a half. That dents transactions more. Um, I think it was somewhere on Twitter. Somebody said, and I, 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 you know, I, I gave him credit, and now I forgot who said it. But um, the Fed is broke housing supply more than it has demand, which is wild to think about. Everybody looks at demand because it's part of the affordability calculation, but they. They have broke supply. They're, the whole move up buyer, buyer, the spring selling season didn't transpire because there's so many people trapped in not moving. If rates go to eight and a half, that's just more people not moving. Yeah, but I, I think, it, well, it's like, why did we get up to eight would be the question. But I, I think if we actually went up to eight in the second half of the year, which that, that seems kind of far away because mm -hmm. we'd have to really, I mean, yeah, you you'd have to take what the ten year to four and a half. Four and a half. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. plus. Yeah, I was just I was just playing yeah. it out because yeah. higher rates in the second half hurts demand. Everybody gets that higher rates hurt demand. I want more people, Lance, to appreciate that higher rates hurt supply. I don't think enough people understand that. Yeah, I I hear you though, but it uh, but when you take off those new listings, it hits the the supply and the demand. And and so the only reason I'm a little like sure pushing just a little bit is cuz we'll take Austin. Austin's sure. still down 25% year over year for new listings. Yep. Okay. But inventory is up um like 70-80% and that's because days on market went up 190%. Now days the market, market yeah. The markets like Boston and a lot of these warmer markets, there are days on markets didn't go up anything like that. So it's mm -hmm. like how much of a Ford, how much of a shock can you give to a demand? Okay. And it would vary by region too. Um, but I, I see what your point is. And 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 even before the mortgage rate shock, we didn't have much supply. Demand and supply were misbalanced Correct. and were still misbalanced. 
and it's in favor of the seller. Um, and tight resale supply went into the spring. We had enough of an acceptance on the demand side. They're like, oh, prices are not crashing right now. Um, and, it, you know, and once it got competitive, it kept going. And, and you see the spring, we're getting a little, just a little more appreciation than a normal spring. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting to kind of see how it'll play out. And then the uh, other thing that I think is transpiring, Lance, is that buyers, right, the demand part of the equation, they're getting used to 6% mortgage rates, 7% mortgage rates. The first time we got here, demand stopped. We're back here again. Now we're back here again. I think this is our third go around with 7% mortgage rates. It appears that demand's kind of getting used to that. That That's what I'm getting to is that's like, so the mortgage rate shock hits, you take out the, the, uh, the move up buyer, right? The mm -hmm. list. The, so the listings drop, but that yep. also takes out, that takes out the move up seller and the move up buyer. Agreed. But those, the buyers on the sidelines who get priced out by the mortgage rate shock, it, it pulls them back very quickly initially, but mm -hmm. as they come in, there's no corresponding improvement on the supply side. Correct. So as more of that acceptance comes, it just adds to the heat of the market. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, now if mortgage rates moved up again, you you would probably have fewer new listings, more of a hit onto that move up side. And maybe briefly you you hit demand, but it, it still has that part where they 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 go to acceptance. Like at no, some point they keep accepting. Um and, and it's been interesting to see how it plays out. So my data tool can't put all the data for this type of bar chart since 1975, but here's since 1990. And you can really see the springs are when you work in that appreciation. And the second half of the year is when you kind of think slow down with the appreciation side. And that, that cycle just goes on. And this chart, I really like it because you can see in an overheating period where you really get the, the fact that you're still up in that second half of the year, the fact it doesn't drop back down to the zero bar in the early 2000s and then in the early two, 2020s, 2020, second half, 2021, that's when that appreciation really starts to add up. And, and so it'd be interesting to kind of see where this bar maxes out at and then what it looks like in the second half of the year. Um is it going to be like these 1990s where it goes up and then you have a little bit off in the second half of the year? But if you look at this line, these 1.3s, mm -hmm. it's one of the bigger spring markets. Or it's wow. on, it's yeah. just like, like we were talking, it's just above the 2014 through 2019 ones. And this is without seasonal adjustment. Right, right. So when we look at all of this, what are what are the experts calling? I know the experts had an opinion coming into January. We're now into July. Are you seeing the experts kind of get closer together? Because I think there was a pretty widespread at the start of the year. You yeah, know, we only have six months left. Where, where are people coming together at? Coming into the year, uh, the last few months, things started to get pretty bearish with some of the calls. Yeah. Uh, 24 of the 29 were negative uh, for the year. Uh, and the peak, the troughs were really kind of ranging and we started to get a few of the 20 ones. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as the year started, we essentially got 
all the revisions started to move in one direction and that was revised upward very quickly. As we yep. go into the year, the market has stabilized, spring appreciation returns, resale supply is very tight, the economy is very strong, so there's no new listings that are from um, like sellers losing their jobs, really. Like there's mm -hmm. nothing. Um, and the the outlooks revised upward. And now we're kind of mixed in terms of like, uh, like everything's kind of condensed itself. Okay. Um, but we're still kind of mixed in like who's positive, who's negative. But the negative ones for the year, they, they never say this with their outlooks, but there's a chance where the models are saying, okay, we still think it's going to be negative for the year. But the economists who are building these models and their own heads are like, I don't know about that. Because if you yeah. look at the data that's coming in this year, we're in kind of a tight spot if we could hit that. Um, and so I think that's kind of where we are is where some of the models for the year are still kind of negative. But yeah. it's like, you know, we already have four of the month's readings of the 12 for the year. And yeah. you're already baked in for two or three. And then, oh, look at the real-time data right now. And yes, there's seasonal slowing, but it's not like seasonal slowing that looks like a second half of the year where prices are going to move down, let alone enough wipe out spring appreciation. So I think that's kind of where we are right now. Um, one of the interesting ones is uh, the American Enterprise Institute, who went very bearish right at the end of the year, which I was kind of surprised by. They thought peaked to trough 15 to 20, uh, which was always surprising because they were one of the groups who was very early to the fact that home prices would overheat during the pandemic. They were like, hey, this is going to keep running double digits. And they were actually still calling for another double digit price gain when uh, prices peaked in June 2022. So they were always very bullish. Uh, but then they got very bearish. Hmm. And then almost immediately, each one of these new monthly reports that they put out, they've started to revise upward. And now they think that this year we're going to be up like five to six and that next year we're up seven. Oh, wow. Historically, a typical year is 4.6 for appreciation in the case Schiller. So right. a five or a seven, those are up fairly big. Um, and, you know, that would be, it would be interesting to see if that's possible, right. uh, but a little skeptical given how pressurized affordability is and the fact it's going to be very hard to get any appreciation at the end of the year um, as you move into that seasonal slow period when yeah. that affordability crunch could actually start to work against you more. Yeah. Uh, Zillow is still, you know, they went right back to being bullish. Uh, mm -hmm. They think five uh, over the next 12 months. CoreLogic is one of the only ones that did not ever think we would go negative year over year. Um, and they think uh, their outlook is now 4.6 for the next 12 yeah. months. Okay. Uh, Fannie Mae still thinks it'll be down like one this year and then two next year. Freddie's kind of like in the same place. Uh, Moody's, I talked to Zandy this morning. Uh, uh, Zandy had said that you know his personal outlook of the 10 doesn't look like it'll happen. He thinks it'll be closer to eight. The model, the last time I had looked at it, and was eight six. I don't know what it is now. Maybe it's closer to just eight. so we're clear when you're saying eight and eight six was Andy's model. That's a home appreciation over the next 12 months. No, no, no. Eight eight is the peak to trough for oh, the I'm cycle. sorry. Yeah. So yeah. like the case Schiller unadjusted went to five two last year. So got to it. get eight, 
you would have to retest that bottom plus three. Got it. Understood. Um, and now what happened is the Moody's model went to that, but then Mark, his personal outlook went to 10 is what he would tell mm. people 10% peak to trough. But now he's kind of like pulled that back on his personal outlook, but I think the model's still in the same spot. Okay. So he's essentially you. pulled his outlook back to what the model's at. Um, and and his, his view is, you know, affordability is so pressurized that as we get some of the economic weakening, weakening uh, some of the price gains would get uh, taken okay. off. Sec in the second half. But yeah. if, if that doesn't happen, the scenario where prices hold really firm, it's just less activity um, is what he says. It's just very low existing yeah. transaction activity. And he thinks Absolutely. for new home sales and existing sales uh, that those are bottomed out, uh, which I think a lot of people, obviously new home sales, you look at the numbers, yeah. they're up a lot. So it'd be hard to not say they have bottomed unless you think there's a double dip. Um, and then his view for rates is still 6.5 for this year, oh, wow. okay. uh, which is what he came in at and uh, six by the end of next year. And then sometime in 2025, get to 5.5. Five. And his long-term outlook is 5.5. Five. Like okay. if you look at the economic fundamentals, where we are, he thinks uh, five five for rates. Yeah. I was going to ask you about new home sales. You brought it up. That was a that was a huge beat. I think twelve percent beat. I I for the one can't imagine why the experts. I don't know who these people are surveying. Actually, thought new home sales would be down month on month. I think yeah, last. Who are these people that Bloomberg gets? Because I don't know. That was horrible. Number, supposedly their Schiller number. They thought the one we just got was a beat, but then okay. all the emails I get from these different groups who are thinking that Schiller would actually be up a little more than it was mm. for this past month. And that most of the people that I was getting emails from thought that new home sales were going to be up. Like I was getting like 730, 740, 750. I was getting a lot of these hot numbers, okay. but then nice. you look at Bloomberg expectations and it's, uh, I don't get it. They need they some won. new experts. They're, they're clearly not in the market because when I'm out shopping for a home, we spent three weeks looking for a home. There's nothing in the existing market that's even close. We had to go buy a new home. And then, of course, the new the builder gave us a 499 30 year fixed. Good luck getting that today. So, you yeah. know. So yeah. Just... It, well, builders need to be a little careful too uh, for the second half of the year to not go too much up, pull Agreed. back much more from the incentives now. Pulling back in March, April, fine. But as you kind of, they're probably going to get a little more conservative for the second half. And then next year, probably, well, we'll have to see that that's kind of yeah. far out, but yeah. you know, DR Horton CEO, when I talked to him uh, this week, he was saying, yeah, there's a possibility that, you know, they, you know, some more of those incentives uh, pull back. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, one of the things is really new builders are in a very great spot. Their, their competition, which is the existing home sale is not really showing up. They're obviously building in and they have the ability to buy down rates in the back end. It's it's a good time to be, a, at least it's a good time to be a public well, builder. Yeah, D.R. Horton's thing was, what he said is the the price cuts they made uh, going mm -hmm. into the year and the, uh, which they call the pricing adjustments and then uh, the incentives, uh, yeah. just giving them an edge. And then, like you said, the lack of resale supply and especially the lack of like, resale supply of things people actually want. Um, That's exactly right. Move in ready. I think there was a Twitter out on Twitter the other day talking about home improvement projects, people backing off those. 
people don't want to take on the projects. They want move-in ready stuff, which is uh, really what we were looking at. Uh, yeah, and getting... you, you would, in one hand, you would think people would get try to go for more of the fixer-uppers because affordability is so strained. But then for a lot of people now too, you know, affordability is so strained. And so, it, you know, it, it's just so expensive to buy something and then also repair. Yeah, and then fix it. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. And then, you know, the Fed has also taken away that piggy bank of the refinances, uh, For sure. which has kind of uh, affected the remodels. But I, and I think you and I talked about this last year is there's probably still a good long-term outlook on the remodel side, just because even beyond this, like there's still going to be people locked in by these low mortgage rates. For sure. Yeah. They're there. I mean, I ask people probably once a week who's moving and most people say they're never going to get rid of their 2.8 or 2.9. So at some point, they're going to add a bedroom, you know, add a pool, whatever it is, because they're going to make where they are better. Yeah. And I, th I think the immediate effect on the new listings data trending down is obviously the, the lock in effect of people like not wanting to sell and move. Mm -hmm. Right. But over time, there could be some of what you've talked about, which is like the accidental landlord where they're yeah. like, okay, they're ready to sell now or they're ready to buy something new now, but they're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of this mortgage rate. It's so yeah, good. So. I'll just keep it yeah. as a rental. I don't think that has like a huge macro effect on the data now, but I think there's some of that over time. Yeah, um, any marginal loss in you know, the new listings has an impact because there's just so little of it. I agree. And then I'm just curious, since I got you, we'll do all this in one video. What are people talking about mortgage rates? I'm seeing a lot of people kind of estimate around six, six and a half. I think mortgage you know, banker said five, six. I couldn't believe that. It's crazy. You know, it, it's tough because the the economy continues to be stronger than expected. And it's yeah, just today's numbers. And, wow. and so it's just keeping the, you know, rates longer, higher for longer, not necessarily mm -hmm. higher, um, but it, it really should be not higher. It should be high for long. High um, for long. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Because higher implies that it goes even higher, which maybe it will. Um, but, but the outlooks are still thinking that by the end of the year, rates are trending down mm -hmm. and that next year rates trend down even more. Okay. Um, so we'll have to see, but a lot of, you know, these mortgage rate forecasts have really struggled. I mean, the yeah, yeah. also struggled, uh, but the mortgage rate forecasts have really struggled too. Um, and so the side that both of these have struggled on is new home prices, the models could not detect uh, the overheating that started during the pandemic. It moved very quickly, very fast, faster than the models. Yeah. Then on the decline side, where the models were good was telling us even as rates started to move up, okay, there's going to be a, a very fast historical deceleration in appreciation. The models got that. But then the yep. models started to get pretty bearish. Um, and, you know, what we'll to kind of see how the cycle plays out, but it doesn't look like it's going to go right there, at least based on the data we're seeing right now. So that's on price. On mortgage rates, you know, mortgage rates, the forecast went into 2022, still thinking we were going to stay in three and four range. And we were hit by March and April and May with a historic mortgage rate shock. Yes. Um, so it's like, you know, I take I take these forecasts I take with a huge grain of salt, um, okay. and it's I mean I I'm sure you probably do too, yeah. 
but it's interesting to kind of see the trajectory shifts yes. as other data comes in. Um, because what the forecasts are doing is looking at a ton of economic data and then reading it. So I mm -hmm. think some of the shifts are interesting, uh, but I take them with a grain of salt. Yeah. Well, and, Lance, and you do an, ama you do an yeah. amazing job. I appreciate I do everything you do. One more thing. Oh, please go ahead. Uh, I asked Sandy his view on the spread. Uh, oh. And his view is he doesn't think the spread's going to come in much until the Fed is actually cutting rates. Um, oh, that's or cutting rates. Uh, and I asked pause and done being rates. He still thinks it actually has to be a cutting of the rates. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if that's true. The models have thought that the spread would come in through the year fairly quickly by the end of the year. But then again, the rates never even detected the spread would happen last year. Exactly. Uh, yeah. spread. So I, I don't know, but it, it's kind of interesting to see these different thoughts and takes. And folks, if you don't know what the spread is, this is basically the 10-year to the average mortgage rate. Uh, you should really follow Lance on Twitter. He's reporting this daily for you. I think the last reading was 313 basis points, where historical average is about 175 or 180. So you have an extra 1.5% spread there. Uh, Lance, Lance is all things housing, housing all the time. Please follow him on Twitter. How can they find you on Twitter and your Fortune articles? Yeah, if you want to read my Fortune articles, Google Lance Lambert Fortune. If you want to find my Twitter, uh, search for at News Lambert on Twitter. And if you want to hear some of my takes, uh, one rental at a time, uh, uh -huh. every, come on every week. Yeah, he has his own playlist. Just look up Lance. It's that simple. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks, Mike.